What's up, guys? Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. What's up, Mike? Hey, Pat. Excited to be doing this podcast, you know, ready to dive into this debut episode. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, we're going to, in a bit here, we're going to talk about best ball strategy, get into some underdog versus DraftKings type of drafting philosophy, like what we're noticing in the drafts that we've been doing so far, different strategies for each of those formats and all of that. Uh, But I, you know, it's a new podcast, so I wanted to just talk a little bit about what this podcast is, what what we're looking to do here. Um, This is going to be kind of more focused on season-long fantasy, so, you know, best ball, high stakes, a little bit of dynasty, Um, but we're going to be, I think, primarily focusing on doing a little bit of like deep dive analysis, and in the next few weeks here, I think we can focus uh, on best ball before we kind of lose that as a format, but then in season, we're going to be looking to try to find player trends, you know, figure out where we were completely wrong in the preseason and where we can get on the right side before it's too late, and you know, obviously we'll be looking at things as they change throughout the season. So that type of analysis I think will be helpful for pretty much every format, hopefully DFS as well. So it'll be, I think, kind of focused on the style of analysis and also highlighting some of the work that Mike and I are doing for Establish the Run because we're kind of doing, you know, some research there, diving into the numbers, and that's going to be helpful for the articles that we're posting. And we want to highlight the same type of stuff here on the pod. Yeah, we're hoping if you're someone who's been playing in your home leagues for a bunch of years and you want to take that next step and participate in your higher dollar leagues or just get outside that cushion of your casual home league, we're here for you to introduce you to different formats. And as Pat said, really dive deep into the strategy. You know, the goal isn't to touch on things from a cursory level. It's to really get into this strategy, get into the weeds. And as a result, whether you're new to best ball or you're a best ball player for a handful of years now, you know, and same thing for dynasty high stakes leagues, you know, we hope that we're really going to help you take your game to the next level. Yeah. And we should have some guests from time to time. I think uh, we're looking probably next week to have uh, a really exciting guest, but I think for the most part, it'll be, just me and Mike as we kind of dive into the deep dive analysis type stuff. So that's kind of what you can look forward to on this pod. Um, Mike, let's get into the the first conversation here. So we've got uh, underdog best ball drafts going on now, and DraftKings has just launched their best ball format. A little bit of different formats here slightly. I mean, you, you look at the underdog format, that is a half PPR format. And it runs 18 rounds. The DraftKings is full PPR with those DraftKings bonuses. Runs 20 rounds. So, you know, slight differences at first glance, but I think can have pretty big effects on the way we want to play these formats. How have you been approaching underdog versus DraftKings so far? Yeah, I wrote an article on our site about a hyper-fragile running back approach, which is basically robust running back, except you try not to take too many running backs in total. And the idea behind that is, you know, the the top, you know, even though we have some fragile running backs in the first four to five rounds, you know, the best way to get a top-tier running back is to draft one early. And in 
and we'll get more into that later. But I wanted to start with that because I think there is a difference between underdog and DraftKings that I've been drafting where the benefits of that strategy aren't as strong on DraftKings. For one, DraftKings is a full PPR format versus underdog being a half PPR format. That's going to skew a little bit towards the receivers and the ceiling that they have there. And the second thing you noted, the 20 rounds, I think, makes a big deal because one of the benefits of the hyper-fragile running back strategy is it can be tough on underdogs sometimes to hit the quota of players you want at each roster slot. You know, depending on where you're drafting your quarterback, where you're drafting your tight end, if you can take two or three and only drafting four, maybe five running backs really frees up your spots to, you know, just load up on wide receiver and still go, you know, possibly three, three players at the onesie position. Now you add two rounds on DraftKings and you don't necessarily need to shave off a running back and go lighter than the rest of the group's going to go at running back. You know, you can take five or six and still have your room to hit your quota at the other position. So as you said, it looks like a slight difference, but I do think it has a big impact in how you're constructing your roster, even with those rounds being, you know, 19th, 20th round. It's not like you're getting great players there, uh, but the quantity at each position matters a lot. So on DraftKings then, what would your preferred approach be? I like the modified zero running back approach. What I found on DraftKings is the market so far is adjusting a little bit to what I've said in terms of they're not taking running backs as early as they are on underdogs. So I think what happens is you can get guys like Kareem Hunt, J.K. Dobbins, you know, some of the, I know you, I think you like you're on DeAndre Swift. Some of these guys you can get in the sixth, seventh round. So I still like to get one or two running backs early, but you can take five to six running backs without taking three to four in the first five rounds. You can get a couple of guys at the six, seven turn. So that's where I've changed my approach a lot. Whereas if I'm going hyper fragile running back approach on underdog, the majority of the time I'm getting three guys in the first five rounds. Yeah. And I know you're kind of into zero running back to begin with. So am I, I wrote a whole series on established run on of my zero running back targets. And that's a, an approach I really like and modified zero running back where you take like that stud running back in round one, and then don't revisit running back for a long time. Maybe char- targeting that tier that you talked about um, with hunt uh, and swift um, and I would also say Ronald Jones in that in that same tier. <laughs> <laughs> then that's kind of when you first start to think about running back again, or maybe even you skip that tier and you go a little bit later and you you go after those Tariq Cohen types, and uh, and in those middle rounds you're filling out wide receiver, maybe an elite tight end, and really loading up to hammer your opponents uh, at those positions. So I like that approach a lot. It fits with what I'm already doing it fits with what i've done in my high stakes leagues you know when i have a chance in the ffpc to grab uh one of those elite running backs i like to do it we we've done one main event so far me and pete overs that have done one of those and uh we took alvin Kamara. we have the 101 in our second main event we obviously plan to take christian mccaffrey so that's a that modified zero running back approach is approach i'm very comfortable with and i i'm really happy to be able to use it in DraftKings. Um, as well with the full PPR and those two extra rounds. The approach that I'm not as comfortable with is the approach that you laid out in your article, the hyper-fragile. And I've tried to do this because I thought your article was very convincing. First of all, I would say it's, I would actually say it's not 
robust running back. Like it's a, it's almost anti-robust running back in a way because if you if you take three running backs in the first three four rounds and then you take another two running backs through the first like six seven rounds you've ruined the strategy right because that's it's almost yeah so the reason that you've ruined the strategy is because the whole point is that you're bet you're making a big bet on these three to four running backs in the very early rounds that you're saying we know the bust rates are very high for running backs in this range but i'm only going to be taking these three four guys throughout the whole draft and this team is going for you know, this is a best ball mania type of team where you have a huge prize. You need to finish first out of a ton of teams. So you're going to need a ton of stuff to go right. And you're basically, you're just making your bet right up top that you, these are the three running backs I'm going to bet on to be healthy. If one of them gets hurt, I'm toast. I'm not going to win the whole thing, but that's okay. I'm going to have a bunch of other teams with some different running backs on them and hopefully paired up with the right stacks, the right wide receivers, et cetera. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And it, it's important when you're doing a hyper-fragile running back approach to actually make it hyper-fragile. Don't, don't take the safety of those other running backs because then you're not going to have the wide receiver firepower to actually take this whole thing down. That's exactly right. You know, The whole point of this strategy is that by betting on running backs early, even knowing that they're somewhat fragile, we also know they have really high ceilings because of the workload that comes with investing in that position early. If we're right on that, we save so many extra roster spots for other positions. And that's super important. If you're bulking up on running back through the sixth, seventh rounds, you lose the whole positive bonus of taking running backs early. So that gets thrown out the window. You really want to bulk up at wide receiver and make up for the lack of quality there with quantity. And the reason that works in best ball is because of the best ball scoring system. We've seen that the correlation of ADP to season long points for running backs and wide receiver is about the same over the course of a season. But when you split that out by week and you look at the weekly scoring of the positions relative to ADP, the correlation for wide receivers is less that of running backs, which makes intuitive sense because the wide receiver position is flush with a bit more variance on a weekly basis because you know, even third, fourth receivers are on the field. You know, they can make a big play. They can get their value on efficiency in limited opportunities, which running backs can't do for the most part. So by having a ton of wide receivers that are going to see the field, even late in drafts, guys like you know, Miles Boykin, Andy Isabel, those are big play guys have been drafting at the very end. They have a much larger positive impact in best ball because you don't need to choose when to start them. And as a result, if we take nine wide receivers in best ball, we can make up for the fact that another team invested in the position really early, but didn't take as many receivers. So you can make it up with quantity, whereas the running back position were you know, ideally going for quality up top and hitting the ceiling that way. Yeah, that's actually really helpful for me to hear because when I've been trying to do the modified zero running back strategy, I'm, I'm honestly having a hard time doing it because you, you get these <laughs> running backs – early on and they dry up so quickly like I I don't mind taking James Conner in the third round you know there's some running backs who I don't mind early I think the second round has some decent candidates even though like first I can talk myself into the guys like Joe Mixon and Josh Jacobs who I don't normally take but I can talk myself into them for the hyper fragile strategy I have a really really hard time even considering 
going after Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, David Johnson. So then I, I found myself skipping that tier and then ending up in that same early, like the modified zero running back tier that we talked about earlier, going after like the DeAndre Swifts, maybe the Cam Akers, the Kareem Hunt, the Ronald Jones. You know, obviously I'm going to try to squeeze Ronald Jones into this strategy anyway. As but, much as possible. As much as possible. But, you know, what then I feel like, okay, I, you know, I have three running backs, but one of them I took in the sixth round. So I haven't quite nailed the point of the strategy. And then as like a zero running back drafter, I've spent all this time looking at guys available in like round 10 and, you know, looking at like Boston Scott, looking at Zach Moss, you know, these guys that I think can really outperform their ADPs. And so then I end up like allowing myself to maybe take one or two of those guys. So now I've got maybe five running backs. Two of them were more in that zero running back uh, right as we're hitting the double digit rounds type of guys. But have I just kind of screwed up my hyper fragile draft when I do that? Should I be skipping those running backs around round like nine through 11? I think you only want one of those. There are some cases where, especially if I get an elite tight end early and I know I can only take two tight ends or I only have to take two tight ends, then I'm more willing to go with a fifth running back because it's not affecting how many wide receivers that I'm bulking up on. And I have a lot of the same issues that you do. It's not like I like drafting running backs early. As you said, I'm a zero RB guy in managed leagues very strongly. So it's difficult for me. I think some of the mistakes I've made out of the gate after writing that article, I really wanted to practice what you preach. And I did a bunch of drafts where I took four out of the gate. Basically, I just wanted to see how it went, see how it worked. And, you know, talking to Ben Gretsch, I probably have way too much David Johnson in my portfolio. I know he's someone that you're off of. Uh, Moving forward, I'm going to try and replace that with Jonathan Taylor as much as I can at the three, four turn. But what I'm seeing is if the market has overreacted to the running back position so much that these fourth round guys are just so dusty and you're really concerned by them. If you don't want to take, like I took a lot of Chris Carson too. If you don't want to take these type of guys, I think you can still make the approach work by taking, you know, your running backs in rounds one and two. And then if you're, you know, if you've got a good feeling, if you're confident enough in, I mean, Dobbins is a guy I keep getting at six, seven a lot, but you could throw Ronald Jones in that group. I think you can still get away with only four running backs if you have you know, even Mark Ingram is one of the Baltimore guys. And I'm high on the Baltimore guys in best ball. Swift is there in the six sometimes. Cream Hunt is a really nice combination of you're getting that weekly floor with the pass catching duties, but you have this massive ceiling because if Chubb goes down, he's going to assume those duties as well. So I think you can make it work and still go hyper fragile running back with four, possibly a fifth by bypassing that third, fourth, maybe even fifth round and looking at one or two guys in six, seven, and then one or two guys in that range where normally in managed leagues, we absolutely love. And we feel like our drafts are awesome because we, really have an affinity for guys like Tony Pollard, Boston Scott, Latavius Murray, whoever it might be. So I've experienced a lot of what you've experienced, even though I authored the strategy to an extent. Yeah. And I think a lot of like the fantasy football uh, community can just be boiled down to like, are you excited when you come out of a draft room because you got Tony Pollard and 
Zach Moss and Boston Scott? Are you or you are you excited because you know you got Darius Slayton and some of these other kind of later like Golden Tate and these and these wide receivers that tend to fall. So I'm very much on the I want the wide receivers that I feel really good about and then the late round running backs. But it's been kind of interesting to take some of these these wide receivers that I think the robust running back guys are are championing. It's so funny because I've hated a lot of my hyper fragile running back drafts on feel because that exact reason where I think some of this is just confirmation bias where we've talked ourselves into a lot of zero running back candidates who, if we're being honest, the hit rate on these guys is going to be not that high. You know, like last year I felt great with some of these Darwin Thompson and Justice Hill shares that I had that turned to dust. But post draft you feel good because you know, there's a bias where you've really dug deep into these guys more so than probably your league mates. And because you've dug deep and you've got a relationship working with these players, it makes the draft feel a lot better. Whereas, yeah, I certainly don't have the affinity for golden date that I have for Tony Pollard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you mentioned like that, you know, you could potentially fade this round of like rounds three through five. Are there any guys in that range that you're completely fading? Like who are the guys you're comfortable with? You mentioned Carson. I, I think Carson is a pretty safe pick, not safe exactly, but I, I think he's one of the guys that I feel okay about taking in that hyper fragile type of style. Um, but they're, they're few and far between for me. I still like, even with the hyper fragile, I'm not looking at Chubb. I mentioned Gurley, Johnson, and Fournette. I'm still not on. Are, are there guys that you're still not taking uh, even when you're doing like a true hyper-fragile draft? I think we're pretty united on the Leonard Fournette fade. I just can't see that. And there's a lot of talk about medium projections versus upside and how guys fit in. And you know, there's different approaches to that. And I, I generally try to balance it as someone that does a lot of projections work but also understands there's certain profiles for breakout candidates and for for me really fails in both. And I think a big reason for that is the passing down work that he got last year, which completely saved him. I don't anticipate that even being there from a medium perspective, let alone a ceiling perspective with the addition of Chris Thompson. And I just don't anticipate him seeing anywhere near the targets he did last year. And when you don't get those targets to prop up that medium projection, all of a sudden you're looking at all this risk in terms of a team that's going to be very bad that might sway a little bit younger throughout the season, a running back that largely inefficient. So I'm really out on Fournette. Like I said, I've gotten maybe one of my negative aspects of a player, though, is there are guys that I'm willing to grab if they slip far enough that I don't necessarily like that much, which is what's happened with me on David Johnson to a certain extent, if I can get a fifth-round lady on Bell, I understand you know, <laughs> a lot of the risks there, but I have a tough time looking at diversified volume there where I do think he's going to see the targets that Leonard Fournette won't. I think there's a lot of the same risks between the two players, but I see the targets getting to a high level with Le'Veon Bell that I don't see with Leonard Fournette. So if I can get him in five, you know, I, I can kind of see where I'm getting the type of workload that I want to get, even though it's a player I don't like. So that's where it's really hard to balance you know, our micro feelings with a player with this macro structure that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons to 
to do best ball because you kind of have more of a portfolio approach. So if a guy in like a high stakes league, if Le'Veon Bell falls to like the late fifth or something, I'm passing. Like I don't want to build, you know, one of like four or five high stakes teams that I'm going to do around Le'Veon Bell. I just, I'm just not going to do it. But in best ball, I think it does make sense to draft a guy who slips. And I think especially with the hyper fragile running back approach, you don't like, again, we're trying to win this whole giant tournament, you know, whether this is the best ball mania or, or DraftKings tournament or whatever, or the bubble, which they rolled out on underdog, which is a lower price point. You don't want to be taking your whole portfolio and putting it around the same three running backs. Cause the whole point is like they're, they have high bust rates. You want to spread it out a little bit. So including a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who I have a very hard time drafting, in any other circumstance, I do, I do think makes sense. <laughs> like when he falls into the fifth, I think that's probably really sharp because then that team is going to be diversified from your other teams where you've used a similar strategy and they're not all tied together on those same few running backs. Yeah, and I do think as we talk through this strategy more and adjust to what the market doing, the key is really you know going running back, running back to start and getting those guys with the huge ceilings. And then from there, you're just hoping you have two running backs that more or less are going to be fine for the season. The volume is going to be there and they're going to cover a dud week from your top running back or, you know, a small injury break or your bye weeks. But you know, that, that's sort of the concept is that you're using Christian McCaffrey's. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's the outlier because you get the number one pick. You're taking him, of course, but you're using his score basically every week, you know, if but even if Kenyon Drake hits, right, you're using his score 80% of the time. You know, that's part of the reasoning behind this is that you get some of these stud running backs if you hit on them, which, of course, is an if. But if we're trying to win this huge tournament, we have to assume something breaks right. We can't cover all our bases. And that's what we're assuming breaks right. These top running backs that we've taken very early are hitting and if we make that assumption, how do we optimize the rest of our team based off that assumption? And that's where the hyper-fragile running back approach works. And I think as we're talking through it again, we've adjusted it. So maybe you pass in the third, fourth round, get a receiver or an elite tight end, and that gives you even more flexibility. And in theory, you're not dropping off that much at third, fourth running back by taking Ronald Jones and even some guys that I normally don't take too, like a Raheem Mostert, mm -hmm. I'll take in this format if he gets to me at six seven. Yeah, that that makes sense, and I think that's probably the approach I'm going to go with because it sort of is a combination of what I'm already comfortable with and what some of your numbers are showing. So baby steps, I guess, on on taking these running backs. <laughs> but but let's talk a little bit about stacking because um, that is one of the absolutely critical things that you need to be doing if you're going to have any chance in taking down this tournament, because the way these tournaments work is that you have, you've described it as there's basically multiple rounds and weeks like one through 12 is going to be one round. And then you get another round the following week. That's worth really just as much as the whole season prior to that. You know, that, that whole season is really just to make that week 13 elimination week. And in that week, you need to absolutely smash. So all of a sudden now it's a GPP. You need to basically have a GPP lineup that survives the regular season and then gets to week 13 and just blows up and then blows up again and then blows up again. So you're going to need 
uh, a properly constructed GPP lineup just like you would have in DFS, which is going to include a lot of correlation. Yeah, it's in a way for uncorrelated tournaments that you have to win. And it's not fully uncorrelated, of course, because you're using the same team. And if those guys are having good seasons, there's correlation there. But your score is starting from scratch. It doesn't matter how awesome your team was, 1 through 13. And sometimes that's frustrating. I almost wish the tournaments were structured that all your weeks counted a little bit towards the championship. Uh, I feel like that would be more rewarding, but it doesn't. So we have to act accordingly. And the reason why I love stacking so much, and Taylor Kaby, one of the co-founders of ETR, had me work on this as my first article for ETR when I joined. And he, his premise was that people aren't stacking enough, even in regular leagues. And that's essentially what I found was reduced to its simplest form when an offense rolls for the year everybody benefits you know it's not just the double dipping it's the fact that if you and and it's centered around mid-tier quarterbacks specifically there's about three or four quarterbacks that go in that early mid-tier so you don't want to take the top five running or top five quarterbacks because they just go so early there's not a lot of room for them to smash their adp but you start getting these quarterbacks you know, the seventh through 14th quarterbacks off the board, they still have that upside potential, but they have a reduced cost. And there's three to four of these quarterbacks a year in general that just absolutely smash their ADP. And when they do that, their pass catchers, wide receivers and tight ends are beating their ADP and hitting their upside by a much, much higher percentage than if you were to take a random wide receiver. So I think not only do you get those spike weeks come tournament time because of the DFS correlation, the double dipping, but that's sort of like the bonus because you're more likely to get there in the first place because it's top heavy to even advance. And if your quarterback, if you pick the correct quarterback that is going to beat their ADP by a lot, you've got two other pieces if you've double stacked that are going to hit at a much higher rate than if you took some uncorrelated pass catchers. So what quarterbacks are we talking here? Because we're not really talking Dak Prescott. Is Josh Allen in that range, or, or are you talking more like once you get to like Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford? I would I would kind of throw Dak in, in there just because I'm so high on Dallas that I think this is a guy that people will be saying people are overdrafting Dak Prescott next year because they're taking him in the third round next yeah. year. So. If I'm taking Amari Cooper, who I'm high on early, I, I'm really high on all the Dallas pass catchers, even with assuming not huge target shares, just because I think they're going to throw often and throw super efficiently. So he's a little bit of an outlier. Like I'd much rather have Dak than Kyler Murray, personally, uh, if I'm doing that. But then after that, Josh Allen starts those next wave of guys i've even seen watson fall sometimes but the guys that i mostly focus on there matt ryan i get a lot because the you've got so many dome games a year you've got a team that has one of the highest pass rates in the league and there's no reason we look at the offensive coordinator history to expect that to change so with which what comes with a huge amount of pass volume not only does it give matt ryan a big ceiling but that's a lot of completions to go to a somewhat condensed group of target guys, right? I mean, you've got Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, and you know, maybe Russell Gage in the slot, but you're not worried about them spreading it out a whole ton. 
I'll just say one more guy real quick, but the Rams stacks with Jared Goff are another one, and he's another guy where the pass volume, team pass volume, could just get extraordinarily high. I think Goff is going way too late, and it's pretty easy to get Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, if you want to overpay for Higby a little bit or just take the arbitrage Higby and Everett late. You know, Josh Reynolds is super late. That's another one that I'm on quite a bit. Yeah, and I just wrote up um, Higby for the site as part of this tight ends uh, series that I'm doing. And he, I think, I think he has the upside of a true elite tight end. Obviously, he showed that last year in that five-game stretch where he just obliterated a bunch of bad defenses against the tight end and Everett was uh, injured for the first three of those five games. But uh, his upside in that stretch came from targets and how many targets he was earning per route. And that is bullish. Like, we'd rather see that, you know, just kind of an elite target per route run share. Um, That's the type of thing that we see from George Kittle. That's what we saw from Mark Andrews. So I actually think that getting Higby in this type of format does make sense because, yeah, he could be a total mirage. He could totally sink your team. But if you're betting on that Goff um, explosion year, I think that betting on Higby with his elite ceiling makes a lot of sense. And I like the Matt Ryan call a lot because, and you saw Evan and Adam do this in, in one of their teams, where you can actually get the pass catchers that are all spread out throughout the draft in a way that's realistic to be able to stack them all up. And that's one of the things that's that's hard. Like with some of these guys, it's hard to get the, you know, like for example, Mahomes, he doesn't really fit with the strategy because he's so expensive, but it's also like you can't really even get all his targets, you know, they're all they're all also very expensive. Dallas can be a little bit tight to do. Um you know, you can you can have trouble actually pairing these pass catchers with the quarterbacks and it sucks when you start to pair up the pass catchers and then miss the quarterback because now you have this team that's probably dead in the water so I think Matt Ryan he fits very well where you can get Julio in the second and come back and get Calvin Ridley in the third or the fourth even and then you can you can um, get Hayden Hurst who I I think I'm a little bit on the fence on not a guy that I typically target um, outside of best ball but I, I sprinkle him in best ball but his ADP works well to then get Ryan and and then at that point you're pretty much done there's not really anyone else on the Falcons that you need to add because like you said it's pretty condensed so uh, I'm glad you mentioned him on the stacking like you know to the point of making about trying to make sure you actually achieve these stacks one of the things that I found frustrating is that I'll end up in these draft rooms in really on either site um, but I, it's happened a little bit more on underdog for me but that could just be random variance but I'm in these rooms and I'm getting a lot of the targets that I like. And I'm feeling like, you know, this isn't maybe this isn't that sharp of a room. This is great. But then, you know, I've got two pieces of an offense and someone takes the quarterback. They have no pieces of that offense. Or they have two pieces of an offense and then they just let the quarterback fall and fall and fall. And I'm like, I don't I can't take this quarterback because I have not exposed this offense. It doesn't really work for this construction. But will you please stop taking the pass catchers I would like? <laughs> from the quarterbacks that I do have and take your freaking quarterback already. So uh, like, where are you, is this happening to you? Am I just in some bad rooms and it, it, would your preference be to be able to get your stacks or to be able to get your targets? Yeah, it has happened to me. I'm irate at the pod father and the FFPC pros versus Joe's. I took Julio and Ridley early 
and he took Matt Ryan unstacked after he had already taken Kyler Murray on the same bye week as Kyler Murray, one pick before me, and I lost my mind a little bit. So it has happened to me. I think I would rather – this is hard. I feel like this is a trick question to an extent where it measures our ego a little bit on structural drafting versus – play the best plays drafting mm-hmm. and of course you want to find the equilibrium i think i'd rather have my targets because i've got some backdoor stacks that i can get that hopefully hit their upside and the one thing that really again super simplistic but doing the research on the article showed me was when an offense rolls everyone rolls and i don't think it's a death sentence to get Julio and Ridley and not have Matt Ryan. It's obviously not ideal. You know, it's hurting your expected value to not complete that stack, but I don't think it absolutely kills that team. Like, I don't think that team's dead in the water because I think with the pass volume that a team like that's going to see, these guys can be very good, maybe alternate weeks a little bit for you, and hopefully you hit your upside with another stack. So I'm just always considering my outs and it does lead me to some tiebreakers early on again on cup and wood. Sometimes I take a little bit of head where we have ranked because I know I can get golf. Uh, and maybe we can talk about some backdoor stacks in a little bit, but I do want to get your take on the Cleveland Brown stack because I struggle with this one where I love, I'm like in line with ADP on Odell. I'm not high or low on him, but I'm pretty high on Jarvis Landry relative to ADP. He just seems to be going just one of those classic values. It seems to be going way too late. You know, I'm okay with Hooper. Again, like the Falcon stack, it's one that's pretty easy to complete because the guys are spread out to a certain extent. I just worry that you look at what Stefanski did in Minnesota, you look at what Cleveland did last year, you're really banking on them being a, a very efficient offense because I don't know if the overall volume is going to be there. Yeah, that one's interesting. It's it's one I should probably be doing more of because I actually think that there are some outcomes where we are underestimating Zimmer's impact on Stefanski's offense from last year because he was basically told, like, give me a kind of semi-old school uh, game. He wanted a fully old school offense overall, but with, you know, an actually efficient passing game. So I'm, I'm curious. I mean, yes. You would imagine that Stefanski puts in a similar Kubiak-style offense in Cleveland. You know, you're going to have a lot of the the play action. You're going to have the zone run scheme, etc. But how many times you're calling those play action plays versus the run plays, I think, really could vary quite a bit from what we saw last year. I don't think it's out of the question that Stefanski ends up being a fairly pass-heavy version of this scheme. And... You know, he was just held in check by Zimmer last year, who we know wants that more ground and pound style. So, you know, Baker Mayfield was one of those guys last year who was being really, really highly drafted. I mean, he was going super high in super flex dynasty leagues. You know, he was taken ahead of Deshaun Watson in a startup I did last year. So there is, you know, at one time the feeling that Baker Mayfield could be an absolute stud quarterback in this league. He had a huge disappointing season last year but you know we don't have to go back very far to remember when we thought that things could could break very differently for this guy so 
I think that's a really interesting one too. And as you mentioned, one that you can pull off pretty easily with where the ADPs fall for the pass catchers. And I would throw in Kareem Hunt there as, as a guy you could also add. And then looking at backdoor stacks, I wonder if backdoor stacks are this consolation prize that make me feel good about the structure of my team, but doesn't actually make my team good. Because as I mentioned, when quarterbacks are hitting big, they're generally coming in that range of the first of the mid-tier quarterbacks. But I do find myself getting some when I get sniped on the you know premier stacks that I want. It just doesn't work out for whatever reason. Gardner Minshew, Chanel, mm-hmm. Tyler Eifert, D.D. Westbrook. I mean, you can get a, a double stack there in round 15 through 17. And that so that's one that I've been hitting a lot. Another one, and again, I'm just worried that the ceiling's not there. If it, I think for a regular league, that's great. I'm worried the ceiling might not be there for these tournaments where Minshew doesn't really have... I mean, I guess he's got a little bit of rushing upside, but I don't know if like on a weekly... like you, We talked about you have to win a tournament, and hopefully you have a better quarterback alongside him, so you're not only relying on him. Because the other one is the Colts with Rivers, Paris Campbell, Michael Pittman... You know, something happens to T.Y. Hilton and all of a sudden you've got two pass catchers with a quarterback that has been a lot more efficient the past few years than we probably give credit for playing in a dome now behind a really good offensive line. Again, I have worries about the pass volume, but when you're talking about a double stack in rounds 14 through 16, you're not going to check every single box there. So those are a couple I've targeted late when I've been sniped or robbed early on. Those are ones that I've been targeting late too. I'm huge on Chenault and I think Minshew, as you mentioned, does have a little bit of that rushing equity. Um, I would also throw, I've done the Rivers one too, where I've just been like, I've, I've pivoted to Rivers in one where I just like kept getting sniped on my, my stacks. And yeah, you can just on the fly take those two uh, receivers in Campbell and Pittman you can even take a guy like Hines, uh, who's available pretty late. So all of a sudden you're like loaded up on Colts pass catchers because that passing offense is just so cheap. Um, another guy that I consider is Drew Locke, especially if you know maybe I've taken a Sutton or I've taken a Fant, but I didn't plan to go. I, Drew Locke's not a guy I typically am targeting. So if I take Sutton, I'm you know I'm like okay now I can maybe go later and get Locke. Um, same for Fant, but it's not something that I'm kind of baking into my build. But if you get sniped and you ha- already have a piece of the Broncos offense, and then you you can take uh, Locke, you can also go get Hamler in your last round. So that's a way that I try to build a, another backdoor stack with the Broncos. Yeah, Hamler is usually available very late and seems like a good late round best ball target just to begin with, even without the stack. And I think the lesson here is you can try and thread that needle between getting your guys not overpaying too much for your stacks if you're just aware of where you're sitting and you know you've got all these outs and maybe you're making some tiebreaker picks to give yourself outs and the goal is to get as much correlation as possible without paying too high of a premium to get it because the more rounds you take guys early, you know, the less likely, I mean, you've passed up on some expected value in terms of your skill players hitting, you know, if you're taking a quarterback two rounds early. So the goal is 
completely stacked, pay a little bit of a premium, but not too much, and then hopefully you hit the home run. Yeah, because if you pay too much of a premium to complete your stacks, there's going to be someone else who has a very similar team to you that's just better because they waited, their quarterbacks fell to them, and they were able to get some more of the premium firepower, you know, a running back, wide receiver, tight end, or whatever. And so you can't force it too, too much. It, it is tempting to because, you know, after getting sniped on a couple of these completed stacks, you want to just see it. You want to make it happen. But, you know, you still, I think, have to to keep that in mind that you need to be able to field a team that really does have a chance to take down this huge field. And the portfolio approach you mentioned with the hyper-fragile running back, to an extent you can do that with stacks. You know, you mentioned – taking a Drew Locke stack, even though you don't normally do it, and mixing and matching different stacks. I'll even, sometimes out of the 12 spot, you know, the win rate from a 12 spot isn't nearly as high as the beginning of the draft. If I've got Tyreek Hill and Kelsey there, I might take Mahomes in a tournament best ball. I wouldn't do this in a regular best ball, but in a tournament best ball where I know I've got these three basically DFS weeks at the end of the season – and what's going to have a higher ceiling than Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Kelsey? I'll start Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, and then you have the 23-pick sweat, 22-pick sweat to see if Mahomes makes it back to you at the end of the third. I've done one successfully and one unsuccessfully. If you take a naked Mahomes after someone has just stacked uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, like, you're a maniac. Like, why are you doing this? I don't get it. The one thing I do struggle with... And this happened with Tom Brady in a draft recently where, you know, Adam will kill me for being off the ETR brand because he's a little bit anti-Tampa Bay passing game. And I'm really high. I'm still pretty high on the Tampa Bay passing game. But no no one was taking Tom Brady. And he was just there after. Like, I count him in that tier of quarterbacks that I think could be top five potentially. But you're getting the mid-tier price tag on. And I felt like every single one of those guys was gone except Brady, but I had no Tampa Bay guys. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, at what point would I actually pull the trigger on an unstacked Brady? Like, would I do it at all? Uh, And, you know, thankfully someone finally took him. The game of chicken ended there. Well, I mean, this is speaking of going against brands. You could, with an unstacked Brady, then try to get Keyshawn Vaughn because his ADP has fallen so low. And then... Um, you know, there's like Howard, Howard. Yep. You could go get Howard. And then Scotty Miller is available super late and is currently, uh, in line to be their third wide receiver. Or if you're, if you want to make your bet on Justin Watson, you know, you can get him in the last round as well. But, um, you could potentially get three pass catchers late to stack with Brady. If, if Vaughn's ADP kind of stays where it is, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's call, let's call it there. We got, uh, another discussion kind of in the best ball uh universe next week but we're going to dive into some different formats and i've already teased it but i'll tease it again we've got a really exciting guest that we'll have next week as well so yeah stay tuned for that and uh well i don't actually know because we this needs to get to itunes so i'm not sure you'll be listening to this by the time you listen to this it might only be another couple days before that next episode comes out but (laughs) you know we'll we'll see and uh thanks for checking out the inaugural podcast of establish the edge and please make sure to check out our content at Establish the Run. You can find us on Twitter at Two Hats One Mike and at Pat Corain. Please write and review the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And for Mike Leone, I'm Pat Corain. This has been Establish the Edge. We'll see you next time.